Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson and once again I'll be your host for this episode. And as per usual, I am joined by Scott and Joris. Scott and Joris, how are you guys doing this evening? Hi guys, how are you? Hello everyone. Do you know what I've been doing? I've been practising my backflips. I don't know if anybody saw the other day, Charlois keeper, Herve the Cat, Coffee, doing his thing at AFCON, getting very, very excited as Burkina Faso, his team, his home country, win their penalty shootout and does, I don't know how many backflips it was he did, 11 or 12 as part of his celebration. It was absolutely superb and he's inspired me to to, to start practising. So, um, yeah, I'll keep you up to date. And it's my mom's birthday, so happy birthday, mom, once again. I'm, I'm sure she won't hear it, but still, uh, it's it's probably also about the only positive thing I will be seeing in this episode. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know where to go from those two openings, but I do want to see, Scott, a video of you doing 12 backflips. I think this is what the people are now going to be demanding. So yeah, a little bit more practice and I reckon you've got it nailed. But yeah, congrats to, to the cat coffee uh, getting for you. I'll do another little AFCON roundup later, but yeah. He's definitely gone viral off of that rather than some of his ridiculous saves. But I mean, what a legend. Let's jump straight into the Belgian Pro League action. I'll just quickly go over all the results we had from this week. Started Friday night with uh, Oostend now no longer under the management of Alexander Blessin. Uh, they hosted Antwerp and played quite well, uh, only lost by two goals to one. Uh, Kortlijk and Erpen played out a one-all draw. Scott got a win. Uh, they just seem to love playing Leuven. They won three goals to one. St. Truden also got a win and scored three goals in the process. They beat a really, really struggling Salang three goals to one as well. Charleroi and Ghent decided to not score any goals because I think that was the only game I could actually watch fully live on Saturday. So thank you to those two teams for that. And Standard and Club Bruges played out a two-wall draw. Uh, Union left it very, very, very late uh, to beat Genk two goals to one. Mechelen lost 1-0 at home to Anderlecht. And then on Sunday, Circle Bruges continued their fine form with a 3-1 victory over Zoltavale again. Let's start with Oostend Antwerp then, guys. Um, obviously, Blessing's gone. Uh, he's now left and joined Genoa. We wish him all the best. We're definitely going to miss him in the Pro League. But I was actually, I don't know what you guys thought, I was quite impressed with Oostend in this game. They did manage to take the lead as well. Zach Medley on the 48th minute, putting them one goal up. Uh, really, really impressed with Sakamoto coming in, uh, the new man from the J-League on the wing. He looks like a really, really exciting prospect. Great on the ball, really kind of dragging that side forward and quite good attacking from the left-hand side. So definitely watch out for him. We also see saw um, Carl Duncan on the right-hand side. So you had two kind of starters playing left and right for them. It's nice to see the, uh, the US man who we know has been joining that club for a while finally get a starting spot and get to see him in that. However, Antwerp did play themselves back into it. Mikkel Frey on the 60th minute pulling them back in and then uh, Balikwisha with a nice goal in the 70th minute to give them a 2-1 victory. Scott, I'll start with you on this. Were you impressed with what you saw from Oostend in this one? And what were your kind of thoughts on their post-blessing kind of setup? Yeah, well, I think this is, uh, for me, this is the best they've played in quite a while, actually. Um, you know, probably a couple of months at least. Um, really decent performance. And I was wondering going into this game just quite how they would respond, obviously, to the big news that, that Blessing had kind of left just a few hours earlier. Um, I, I was really keen to see what, how they would respond, you know, because these things can kind of go either way for a side. And they actually played very well. They, they, you know, they, they looked energetic. Um, you're right, Sakamoto looks looks like a really good pickup. Um, they'll be looking to make that permanent if they can, I think. He made Yoris's team of the week this week as well, I think, deservedly, Sakamoto. Yeah, they played quite well. I think this is one of those kind of small margins games, really. It could, it could have gone either way. And I, I think Antwerp squeaked it, really, because... You know, two or three mistakes creeping into Usten's game at kind of key moments, and there were kind of fatal mistakes, really giving uh, Michael Fry too much space. Um, ultimately not tracking runs, those kind of things, the sort of things they're normally good at. And just at key moments, things that Usten have become known for doing very well, you know, the high press, 
you know, the high turnovers in the opposition's final third just weren't quite as tight and as intense as they would like them to be. And I think that's got a lot to do with the difference in margins in the end because Ustend did create their own opportunities as well and um, obviously had what was quite a nice goal chopped off, unfortunately. But really decent game, this. And I thought they responded. The initial signs of life post-blessing are kind of positive, really, on the basis of that. If they can keep that going, then they'll, they'll be all right, um, regardless of who their, their new man is when they come in. It was a very positive response, so they'll be they'll be heartened by that, I think. Yeah, and to keep on going on the blessing team, it's a bit more negative already again. like I also mentioned it to you guys. His new team, Genoa, got a, a clean sheet, which probably didn't have happened that much this season since they're in the relegation zone. And uh, with, I, with that one clean sheet, he almost has the same amount of clean sheets he got at Ostende. And unfortunately that did show in this game as well. I still don't know what Medley was doing at the well, at the 1-1 after it's a great finish, of course. Granted, there was a bit of luck in there as well. N'Golan basically shoots with his foot in the ground <laughs> and that becomes an assist. <laughs> and a brilliant assist even. But if you don't see that for a small part, but uh, a good through ball. But... Um... Yeah, Medley should do better there. And But for the rest, indeed, Sakamoto made my team of the week. You already gave him praise, and uh, rightfully so, I think. Frey marking again two weeks in a row already. If he keeps on going like that, it will definitely still be a tight battle with uh, Undaf, it looks like, still for the that um, top scorer title. Less important as a team, of course, but... Uh, pro- Definitely a good personal goal for them. Nine Golan was was for quite a while in my team of the week as well because he created more or less five chances. But yeah, just since that little factor of luck <laughs> involved in the assist, that also counts in it. I, I've, in the end, I didn't pick him, but he definitely made the bench of that team. He's still trying to score spectacular goals now, Angelang, isn't he, guys? You know what I mean? That he's he's not he's not dropped that urge of his to you know hit a thirty yard rocket or try to into the top corner. There was a couple of attempts in this game as well that you know I thought, okay, he's he's still at it. One of them's going to come off at some point. He, he definitely is, and indeed, he was trying. And like, well, while I was skeptical at the beginning of the season, he he definitely has made a bigger impact in the past few months. Um, he also said himself like he had a adapting to the to the Belgian league was a bit different than he expected I guess but um, yeah he definitely is uh, now proving his worth more and more uh, at Antwerp with goals and assists and just of course his general presence as well yeah I think he's he's, he's settled properly now he does look like a settled player um, and seems to be bringing a, a reasonably consistent level of performance to his game just going back to Blessing for a minute guys I kind of I, I personally, I'm really sorry to see him go. Not only because he was coach of the year deservedly last year, but I think he's 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 so important to everything good that's come out of Ustend over the last year and a bit. And he's obviously a huge loss for them, and they have to be very careful now and 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 picking who's going to take over from him uh, longer term. Also, is the the way he handled the media as well was also really nice. You know, he he you can tell that you know he's just enjoyable to be around. He's he's funny. He's self deprecating and he's honest as well you know and he just he carries himself with the press and media I think in a way a lot that a lot of other managers could could learn a lot from so I, I wish him well and I think it's one of those where you know the offer comes in to buy out his contract and you know you have to make a a, a pretty much snap decision and if you think about it from his point of view this season's been difficult for them because we know they, they lost the spine of the side and they're still adjusting um, to that even now that offer comes in and sometimes you just have to move when your stock's high um, regardless of, of how you feel about the club you're at and this is just um, one of those um, so I, I wish him well and certainly there'll be lots of people in Belgium who'll be keeping an eye on, on how he's doing in, in, in Italy I think. Yeah no definitely um, and I think when you look at the size of the club he's gone to like Genoa is obviously quite a massive club in Italy like lots and lots of history so I really do hope he does do well there I hope he keeps them in the league and kind of gets the chance to build upon that and yeah like you said like you were mentioning about the defence and stuff, and we've it's been well highlighted the players that they've lost in that position. Thankfully, they will be getting uh, Stefan Fortes back at the time of speaking. Obviously, Kate Verde down to nine men and a goal down at the time of our recording. So, presuming that him and Kenny Rocha Santos are coming back, and do you, I think Fortes has looked quite good in the Afcon tournament, so he's going to come back with a bit of form. He's done quite well today against Sadio Mane and another couple of big players. So, I think having him back there could obviously help because. 
it's a young defensive back three that they're playing with, like no one really over the age of 25, I don't think, unless Brett Capon's playing, but he hasn't been involved for quite a while. So yeah, Medley, Yakel and Ton, like that's a young back three. So getting another experience head and they'll be good, but good to see them playing well. Uh, nice for Antwerp, obviously, to get a win against a side like that playing well. So yeah, let's move on to Kortrijk against Erpen. I guess I saw the highlights for this one. It looked like quite an entertaining game, quite a few chances involved in it. Uh, maybe not enough chances, shots taken on target, unfortunately. Um, but the first goal by Julian Ngoy, I mean, he sends about five Kortrijk players completely the other way with this turn in the box. <laughs> and I think it was Cal Mackey on Twitter who said that I think obviously Carl's obviously over in Belgium. He's like whisper it very, very quietly if you're in Belgium. But shades of how Robson Carnu uh, in the Euros for Wales with that turn and finish. Um, Reading legend how Robson Carnu, of course, at that time. But it is a very similar goal, kind of back to goal in the box, neat turn, lovely finish into the bottom corner. Just what Erpen really needed was getting Ingoy back and firing. Kind of the lineup that they could line up within this team. Obviously, Prevoyak and Ingoy back up top. Jens calls back in the midfield. They're starting to get those players back into those positions. Conan and Dree, I thought, played really well in this game as well. A nice assist for the goal and just he looked a lot more dangerous. However, they weren't able to hold on to that. Slight mistake, I guess. A major mistake, I guess you could say, from Robert Hill winning goal. Um, he's actually been pretty solid and he made some good saves in this game, actually. But a uh, nice moment for Bill Amaswidi uh, getting his first goal for court strike. Yeah, Hillman probably should do better. It looks like he completely misjudges the flight of the ball, but nice for Bilal and nice for Kortrijk that a striker scoring goals because obviously we know that their striking department's just been absolutely shot with injuries and uh, obviously Badamosia, Afcon, Pat Gay still out. Even this, I even got an update on Pat Gay's injury, not from anyone at Kortrijk, but from uh, if anyone saw the match-worn shirts thing that was going around where you could all bid for match-worn shirts and I was lucky enough to win a Pat Gay one, but I got an email today saying, unfortunately, can't dispatch it yet because he's not able to sign it because he's still doing rehab <laughs> and coming back from his injury. So I was like, that's absolutely fine. But yeah, so it looks like he's still a bit away from coming back that he can't even sign a shirt. But no rush from my end, Pat. You concentrate on getting back from football. Signing a shirt is completely irrelevant. Let's get him back on the pitch because they could definitely deal with him back. But nice for Masidi to get back in amongst the goals there. Probably a deserved result in the end between these two teams. Uh, Joris, I'll start with you on this. What are your kind of impressions on this result for both teams? Do you think they could either have done with a win or do you think they'll both be happy with the point? Ultimately, I think so. But I do also think that both teams at, at certain points in the game will have thought differently, especially Kortrijk in the beginning, how they were not... Uh, one nil up or more even before uh, the Ngoy did his magic and also their defense lacked a bit <laughs> and that's coming from what is uh, the second best defense in the league as well that was quite shocking defending but um, before the before the first goal they I think they will have, have thought that this one is in should we should be winning this one after the goal, what even one minute after the goal, I think Coles incredibly misses. Uh, he was a bit surprised, and if he just touches the ball, uh, it goes in, and it, the game might already be killed at the, uh, for Erpen then. But uh, well, that's not what they do lately uh, anymore, of course. Well, Mesaudi definitely tried uh, to shoot from all angles, and ultimately, <laughs> it's no surprise that he that that he scored. Even though, of course, it's uh, yeah, it is definitely a Himalman mistake. He but uh, Mesaudi tried eight times to shoot on goal, and I think almost all of them were from distance. So, uh, it, I guess persistence sometimes gets you somewhere. <laughs> but uh, definitely, I think the after afterwards, the game was more even. Open definitely also still had so a few chances, especially in the beginning of the first half. So, I, I guess in the end, people, uh, both teams could live with the draw. I think this game actually sort of underlines quite how competitive uh, the Belgian Pro League is. I mean, we know this. This is not news to us and to to you know to many of you listeners actually. You know, get to get to see some games. One of the funny things uh, about this was um, I remember saying to you guys in the opening stages of this game, the first fifteen minutes, how Kartrike, you know, not ahead some of the chances they'd created and I think it was within about 10 seconds of me saying that to you Open go up the park with what was I think genuinely their first attack of the game and score <laughs> you know and in many ways that's that's this league all over actually you know and it kind of it, it 
it was quite a topsy-turvy game in that sense. You know, you, you still had no confidence that Kertrack, despite the fact that they dominated a lot of this game and probably, you know, probably should have won it, didn't and and just didn't because because this league is, is, is so competitive. And it's back to that, one of those favourite words that we like to use fairly regularly here at the BFP, efficiency, isn't it, guys? It's just, you know, it's Luca Elsner was talking about it over the last week as well. I'm sure we'll talk about that when we talk about standard, but entertaining game this, actually. Loads and loads of opportunities, um, some some funny mistakes, good goals as well, and also some terrible ball watching that led to one of the goals, you know, Sunday League stuff, really. Yeah, and also just a small remark still, and we all know I'm a big fan of Agbadu, but he had really had a nightmare of a game in the ball position, at least. But then I'm also surprised to see, still see him get a 7.8 on FODMOP. <laughs> so that that doesn't really reflect my image of his game because he lost the ball three times, I think, in very dangerous positions, either by passing or by trying to dribble out uh, from the back. So to, so to maybe highlight that, like he didn't have a good game at all the, in it's funny, isn't it? Is is I was just going to say is you're right. Your his footwork is normally very very good, Agbadu's, but he did nearly fall over on a number of occasions from you know simple simple passes. I think is I don't know. It was funny. I, I did note that. I thought his head isn't in the game here. Mm. Well, to be fair, yeah, he's got people yeah. interested in him, as we've seen from different. Say, so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he is kind of. I think it's only natural, isn't it, during January if you're a player and you've got that kind of buzz around you that you're going to be slightly mm-hmm. distracted. But just kind of looking at the overall picture for both of these clubs, like Kortrijk have really put a nice run together. I think that's five unbeaten for them now. Two draws in the last two games and then three wins before that. Erpel, on the other hand, they stopped the rot. That's four defeats they had in a row up until this game. And I think it kind of confirms what I personally feel about Erpen is like when they can have that full strength for Levin on the pitch, they, they will be fine. It's just that they haven't been able to do that for the last four games. This game, they finally start to get some of the bigger players back and they can compete a little bit better. So, yeah, as long as they can get players on the pitch, they should be fine. But Kortzweig definitely are one of the informed teams at the moment and definitely worth a watch. They'll be getting Selimani back as well, obviously, with the uh, with Comros getting knocked out in the craziest of fashion. I'm sure many people listening to this watched that game, which was absolutely mental. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, it'd be good for Kortzweig to get him back and kind of, slot him back in and get some goals from him again. Let's move on to Biscott against Leuven. Many of you will be surprised that Biscott actually won and they were good value for the win, to be honest. I think, Joris, you made a mention of it in our kind of chat that if it wasn't for Runnison in goal, this could have been a lot more uh, than three goals to one. He made some fantastic saves in the game. Even made my team of the week despite losing against the bo- dead bottom team. <laughs> <laughs> but fully deserved. If if you haven't seen the highlights, definitely go watch it and you'll know exactly why Joris has put him in because he made some incredible saves. And he yeah, did keep them in the game for long periods. However, Leuven did take the lead. Uh, Sieb Schrievers with a absolutely fantastic goal. I think... I don't know. You guys may remember any recall some other goals he scored, but I feel like he only scores good goals. Like he doesn't score often enough for what we've wanted from him, but he does score some really, really good goals when he does score. And this was another one of those really good goals. However, go down the other end, 24th minute, uh, Mawikia Lemos, the centre-back for Beer Scott, was like, you know what, I'm just going to do what one up Steve Steve is here with a ridiculously good free kick from the centre-back. Absolutely no right to hit that. Who needs Holzhauer? Exactly. And that's even what I think the commentator I was listening to said. was like, you don't need Holzhauer when you've got someone that could do that. And we've kind of spoken, haven't we, that we're just unsure where the goals for Beer Scott are going to come from with their strikers. But apparently they don't need strikers, they just need <laughs> defenders. Pierre brought in with a really nice cross to Joran Dom at the back post. But Dom shows everything you'd want to see in a team that's battling relegation. The desire to get to the ball just that want and hunger to to get to the chance. It's a really good ball from Borden, but Casper Denor is just completely asleep. Um, if you watch it on the replay, he's he's kind of checks him. He knows that he's on his kind of back shoulder. As the ball comes in, he doesn't kind of even react to thinking that Dom's going to make that run across him. And it's just quite an easy finish for him then. And then into the 90th minute, Holthauser is on at this point. Lovely little one-two with Vandenberg who puts it away. Really disappointing for Leuven. They just can't seem to beat Scott. It's just one of those things like obviously the two sides came up together. Really, really struggling. And it was interesting that they went with Alamirsch up front instead of Kevin Rezai. Obviously, Sorry Cabas at the AFCON, but 
I was pretty sure, okay, this is a great chance for Kevin Rezai to kind of find a bit of, so find some minutes, find some touches in this team, get kind of back into kind of the player that we've seen before when he is on form. But the fact that Beers went with Alamish, I don't know if that was thinking, okay, we're playing against Beers Scott, we don't need a Rezai type, we need more of like a kind of more mobile striker, but it didn't, it didn't really work. And given some results that we'll move to elsewhere, this is actually a big result for Beers Scott. And Scott, did you see anything in this game to think, yeah, this could be the start of a small turning point for them? Not really, if I'm being honest. I, I was surprised by the, the kind of improvement in the performance. I mean, one of the notes I actually made after watching the game um, was strikers still not scoring goals. Now, obviously, you know, Beershot will look at it and go, well, to be honest, we don't care. It's three points. We desperately, desperately needed, um, you know... Um, you know the goalkeeper can score all our goals. If you know if he wants, you know for a week, we'll take it, and that that that's fair enough. But it, it's interesting. I mean, you're alluding to how big these three points are. I mean, there's a game tomorrow night as at time of recording. Beershot go to go to Sarang, and that's a massive game because obviously if if and it's still a big if, but if Beershot win that, they'll be within four points of Sarang. And, you know, the the potential great escape would very much be back on again big time if if they can get the, the three points away from home there. So this this three points against Leuven really potentially very significant. And psychologically, the effect that Wendell have had on Sarang as well, bearing in mind their own result, which we'll talk about shortly, I think, is, is kind of, you know, uh, come together at just the right point for Beershot. So, yeah, I mean... Considering the disruption in the camp, you know, with what was happening with Mike Van Hamel that we talked about um, last week as well, they, they, they'll be delighted, you know, just to get what was a pretty comfortable win for them in the end. I was I was surprised that Leuven didn't make more of it. And like you, I was surprised that Alamir started as well, actually. Um, we know that Leuven have prioritised a striker and that, that hasn't changed um, either. So I would still expect another striker to come in there before the window closes in, in, in another few days because, you know, even with Kaba coming back, you know, not too far away now, I, you could still argue that they, they do need more just, just for the sake of competition in, in the camp, really. That game tomorrow will definitely also it will that game will be a turning point I think for either of the sides. Saram would win to jump ahead a bit. <laughs> we should discuss that a bit more when uh, we talk about Saram's game. But uh, if they would win, maybe they can pull some other teams in. While if they don't, it looks like. Uh, depending on other results that maybe the bottom two places are decided who is going to be where then uh, is still very important and up for grabs but the gap between 17 and 16 could increase there or if Serain wins it could pull them at the bottom of a list of teams that are that should worry uh, starting from Sintrada I guess still uh, round 11 that are eight points ahead of them depending on all kinds of results that might all change yeah if Serain win uh, they then and Everything is up open there for getting to 17 spot and Beersel seem well more doomed than ever. But um, I think I already touched on it a month ago or so. Like this, this, this game day is the end of January. They will prove really crucial in the in the in the battle for relegation. Yeah, there's a couple of couple of massive games. I mean, that one at the bottom is equally as huge as as um, the big topper, obviously on on Thursday between club. And Union as well, so you know a, a lot of you know really huge games, particularly this midweek, which is nice. Yeah, no, definitely, and I think yeah, you both completely right there. This kind of Sarang Scott game is just massive at the moment. So let's jump, let's jump to Sarang then. As I said, they lost three goals, two one to St. Truden. Aichi Hayashi getting the first goal. Really, really nice finish from him, running through onto a ball and slotting it home. Uh, Yaya Nadrani actually got the equaliser for Salang. They got back into it in the 44th minute. So going into halftime, it was 1-0. However, gave away a penalty in the 76th minute. Christian Bull stepped up and he's been so consistent from the spot this season. Uh, he puts it away. And in the kind of the dying minutes, Taichi Hala makes it three goals to one. For Salang, I mean, they did have the chances. Like, they only managed one shot on target, according to the stats that I looked at, which is frustrating when you consider that Mikatadze did have a couple of chances going through. Molawage got his first start in this one. They brought him in uh, on a free signing, which I thought was quite a good signing, but he 
couldn't stop the rot at the back. Obviously, they are missing Cisse and Jallo as well. These kind of results that they were getting were kind of happening before then. Just trying to remember the last time. I don't think they've won since November against St. Tluden. So the, re- the reverse fixture when they won two goals to nil. Since then, yeah, they've lost to arguably some stronger teams. Like you chuck in, I don't know, you've got like Anderlecht, Club Bruges in there, Union as well. Obviously, the other day with the kind of Half and half game, they ended up losing four goals to nil despite um, Union having 10 men. So they'd have probably earmarked this game as one to win. But like you said, coming up is big for them. They've got Beer Scott and then they've got Erpen. Annoyingly and probably frustratingly for them, Erpen are probably going to be at full strength by the time they play them on Saturday. They'll have got more of their players back and more in a rhythm. So they're kind of running into these two sides at the worst possible time. For St. Trude, obviously massive, massive result for them to get that win. They really did need to beat a team like Salang to kind of, like Joris was talking about, kind of the gaps in the tables and stuff like that. Beating Salang was a really, really important thing for them. I guess either one of you can jump in, but do you think when Jallo and Cissé are back, do you think Salang are going to be okay? Obviously, they brought Napari, they brought in a couple of other players. Do you think they will be okay and they just need to not lose to Beer Scott and they get these players back and they'll be fine? Or do you think actually they're in a massive hole and these two players aren't going to make a difference? They just got to deal with what they've got at the moment I think it's very difficult to say isn't it it's one of those that could kind of go either way I mean I think I think on paper they do still have the players who could get them out of this and get them out even of the playoff spot which they're in obviously you know Zalta who are just above them you know four points above them same as who stand who are very much still in this you know I think even a point actually arguably against uh, Beershot tomorrow night as we record is not a bad result for them depending on what happens at the weekend as well you know I, I think you know a couple of wins could change everything for them, you know, so there's, there is still plenty of time. Equally, if Beershot win it, as I was just saying, then that changes everything again, you know what I mean? Because it's just that concertina effect, it just pulls everybody in and brings them a little bit closer. So, you know, this is this is arguably even bigger, this game tomorrow night, than, than any cup final could be for them. I think they're still adjusting as well. I mean, uh, Jean-Louis Garcia obviously will have his own ideas about how he wants them to play, but because of the situation they're in, you know, I don't think you can afford to spend too many weeks making too many tweaks and adjustments because actually when they do play to their the best of their ability, they are a decent side who do play positive attacking football. So they just they need to hopefully just try and find that, you know, that 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 flow again um to get them a couple of results. Because, you know, if I was if I was inside the camp there, I'd be looking at the table and going, look guys, do you know what I mean? We just need to keep working hard and doing the basics right. Because the thing is Zalta haven't markedly improved yet. Um, and although Usten played well this weekend, they're still very much in this in this fight down at the bottom as well. So it's it's all there for who can just, you know, squeeze a little bit more out of the tank. Yeah, and ironically, it seems like they are going for a more defensive approach and they now finally scored a goal after six games. So that's a, bit, a little bit of irony. And coming back to your original question, I do think it's a big hit for them. Uh, I I wouldn't say they would be safe if they would be here or if they would come back and everything will be fine. But I think they, they really are. The Afghan is really at the worst timing for them with all these relegation battles going on this month and missing these players at the moment. Missing these players at the moment against the teams they arguably would have been most useful. That might be their complete downfall. No, definitely. And I think just looking at kind of when Jallo would be back, like he obviously won't be back for these two games. They Gambia have Cameroon next. Realistically, he won't be back until Charleroi, Antwerp. Um, and it's Charleroi, Antwerp and Ghent in a row before they play Zoltava again on the 27th of Feb. So that becomes a massive game. But after that, it's Club Bruges, Standard, who, not the same, but Standard away is always a difficult place to go. Then they finish with Leuven, Oostend, and finish at Genk. So, yeah, some tough fixtures, but everyone's got to play these tough fixtures. Like, Bish got, obviously, after they play Salang, will have some tough fixtures as well. So I think one of the interesting things as well, guys, is it's going to be really interesting to see whether they throw them straight back in, because quite often, as we know, we've seen it at lots of clubs over the years. When players come back from AFCON to their clubs, it's not unusual for them to get, you know, maybe a week off. It's just totally 
totally understandable. Because of the situation they're in, which may have changed for the worse or for the better by the time he comes back, whether they feel that actually losing him potentially for another week just isn't really an option. So I'm going to you know, be really interested to see what they decide to do there. Was it Thomas Partey? He kind of came back and a day later got sent off. <laughs> He's kind of like, do you rush these guys back in, give them a break? Because it's been it's a tough tournament. Like It's very, very high-intensity football. But ironically, I guess you could... Scott could win. They'll be four points behind Salang. They then play Zoltoval again. They'll be still a point behind Salang after those two matches. So, like, those are kind of their two looking ahead, real winnable games that they've got. And even then, it still might not be enough. Like, that's how much of a hole they're in. So, part of Ooh. me kind of, I want the relegation battle. Like, I don't want a team to be completely cut adrift because it adds to the excitement. But, yeah, they, they've got to pick up these two wins and then go on a run. It's not just enough to pick up these two pick up a result against Salang. But psychologically, it should have a boost for them if they can do it. But if Salang do it, I think, yeah, I can see them kind of pushing on with the boost that that will give them. So yeah, really important game between those two this midweek. Let's move on to the Saturday evening game. Not much to really say about this one. Uh, Shallow against Ghent, <laughs> nil-nil. Not a lot interest of interest happened <laughs> I don't even know where to really begin or end or start with this one. Uh, I guess we saw a couple of Interesting players make kind of appearances for, for some of the sides. Uh, Nkuba starting up front for Charleroi was quite interesting, I thought, because uh, Bayer was out, was unable to play. We saw a bit of Petkevicius, uh, the Lithuanian that, they, that Charleroi signed, but again, don't have much time to make an impact in this one. I guess it's kind of a result that, like we've been saying with some of the other games, doesn't really suit either team massively. Keeps them both kind of in playoff two, doesn't really bridge the gap for either side into that play of one. They're still both level on six points off the, the kind of fourth place for Anderlecht. Uh, for Charlotte, at least it stopped a run of, of defeats in a row. They had two defeats in a row. For Ghent, that's now three draws on the bounce. And obviously against Courtois, they had kind of a makeshift team before that drew with Union. So they can grind out these nil-nils when they want to and they are missing a big a key player in Ngadu at centre-back. So not the worst of results for them. Do you guys have anything... To say on this one, I'm kind of rambling on trying to find something to say about a nil-nil. I think my match report says nothing to report. My eyes can't ever unsee this game. <laughs> <laughs> the main thing probably is uh, coming back to a question from last week. There is Jenny Bruno. He played a starnet for him. Yeah. So the, he, he's still alive, luckily. And uh, who knows what will uh, come from it. But well, this game was not no. the one. <laughs> Definitely that, that will get his careering hint on track uh, and well for the rest Ben Arthur asked, said during the game uh, the, well this game really <laughs> needs a goal one of these cliches of course but I, my reaction was well it's still a mystery why, <laughs> where that would come from and it, it, remain, it remains a mystery until the next picture <laughs> between those two teams I guess I mean yeah they could still be playing now and I don't think anyone would have scored um, it was that, that drab it was one of those games that just needed some fan atmosphere to keep you engaged, I think. You do find that sometimes if you're watching some of the more drab games, you're like, yeah, if we could just have a bit of chanting, might get a bit of intensity going. But alas, it wasn't to be. At least we had some goals at the Sunday kickoff. Standard Liège against Club Blues. A really nice counter-attacking opening goal for Standard uh, Matteo Caffaro with the finish after Donham. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what he was doing. Like... He tried to cross it, messed it up. Then he tried to pass it and kind of messed it up, but then managed to pass it anyway and got the assist on that one. Baz Doss then absolutely bulldozed. I think it was, was it Lifeis or Dusen? I can't remember which one of those two it was, but he just absolutely battered them to win a header. He was like, I'm getting this. And he did. Club should have a really nice goal from Lang, chalked off for offside, wasn't it? Um, after VAR, but that's quite a nice bit of movement and play from them. Edmond got his first goal since joining, returning to Standard in the 48th minute. Really nice kind of coming across finish from him. Just kind of what they've been missing a little bit from the other strikers that they've got. Just that little bit of movement in the box, which was nice from him. Kind of what we saw Muleka doing last year with his kind of front post runs. Apart from this, was a little bit more central. So he looked absolutely chuffed with that. Uh, but then Baz Dost again in the 59th minute brought parity. And then in the 83rd minute, Jack Hendry got himself sent off. He's only been given a one-match ban. And I think if I read it, it's because of his previous disciplinary record or something. So <laughs> apparently if you were nice a nice man 
and don't do many disciplinary things, you get kind of <laughs> leeway when it comes to red card suspensions. My favourite thing about that, guys, I don't know, did, did you spot this when you were watching it? The camera, you know, there was a close-up on Jack just as he was getting sent off, and he did actually say to the ref twice, why is that a red ref? Why is that a red? And, you know, I, I, I thought that was hilarious because, you know, my my instant reaction was, yeah. that's a red, that is a red all day long. And he's pointing at his defensive cover, when you know everyone knows that you know the cover was never going to get across, no. uh, that was my favorite bit. I think because yeah, and the the mild punishment comes uh, because it's in the in the match report from the referees. Apparently, they only noted down the, that he was the last man. But even if he wouldn't have been, that would have been a straight red card, of course. But that was not noted down, and he got, didn't get additional punishment for that. So just for the and well, there is a table for that then. Yeah, in that sense, it's it's a normal sentence. Okay, but yeah, because yeah, a bit weird. Yeah, though. the report I, the, the, it was must have been one of the translations I read was like because of his niceness, but I presume they meant because of like yeah, like you said. Also, 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 <laughs> no, 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 that's definitely well, not of his niceness, but yeah, since it's the first time mm. he sent off. I mean, he can cut. I know you. I think he was pointing at. Was it Insoki he was pointing at? Or was it someone else? A uh, Van der Brent maybe or Rika. Just kind of relying on their pace. Also, shout out to Tejon Buchanan with a first assist in the Pro League. That was nice to see. And a shout out to, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Alexander Kalut. Started at left back for Standard Liège. Started over uh, Niels and Kunkis. After the game, I think it was uh, Elsner and Raskin were like, we've been really impressed with him in training. Elsner was like, I was really kind of happy to stick him in. I had full faith in him. You also go to, obviously, as the, the resident Belgian, it's nice to see kind of a young Belgian get a start at such a young age, what were your kind of thoughts on his performance? Yeah, definitely always good to see young Belgians in a team, whether that's out of necessity or not. And in this case, well, he did get picked over in Kunku, so it was not only necessity. So I think he, he held his own, I guess. Well, a, a difficult match to get your debut in and he, he held his own, so uh, nothing more you can expect. Great, yeah, definitely keep an eye on him. Uh, obviously, kind of the last youngster that left the CK was pretty decent, so we'll keep definitely keep eyes on him. Scott Krabruge, we spoke last week about how it wasn't massively a test against St. Truden. Obviously, Standard not the best team at the moment, but you always know that if you're going away to Standard, they're going to put put a fight up. We saw that against Anderlet, they put a fight up, they put a fight up here. What did you see from Club Bruges in this one? Kind of obviously thinking with like the new manager and stuff. Did, were you impressed or did you see any areas of concern? Yeah, I, I, I thought they played pretty well on the whole, actually. They'll be frustrated, obviously. They couldn't they couldn't get it over the line. It's interesting because, you know, they started this game very well, I thought. They were getting in behind Standard a lot and I was, you know, the opening 10 minutes, I was really quite worried for Standard. I thought this could, you know, this could be ugly if the game stayed like this. They played very well. We're starting to see real signs now, I think, of the way that Alfred Schroeder wants to play. You know, there's more energy, there's more passing and movement, you know, and he clearly loves a rondo and training. Who doesn't um, for those technical skills, um, you can really see that, you know, he spent a lot of time working with them at Barcelona and I'm sure at Ajax as well, you know, on a kind of technical level. And that's obviously started to kind of filter down to, to his work in the training ground with Bruges now. So there are there are a lot of positive signs about, you know, the, the way in which he wants them to play that are starting to show on the pitch. Having said that, look at Elsner this week before the game made some really interesting comments where he was alluding to the fact that he knew Bruges were going to have have probably a lot more of the ball than 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 standard wear and it, it was going to be really really important what standard did with the ball in this game was going to have a, a yeah predetermined basically well the outcome of it and you know the first goal is a brilliant example of that brilliant counter attacking goal three passes goal when you know what I mean completely against the run of the play at, at that point and I think that's kind of how standard are going to be playing for a while now you know what I mean just being ruthless actually and efficient about how they how they use the ball and he, he was really pleased with that goal and um, he mentioned it again afterwards as, as being a really good example of what he was talking about there you know you might be under a lot of pressure you might not be looking great you might be looking ropey you might be getting cut to shreds a wee bit at the back like they were you know Bruges were finding channels very far too easily in that game but you, you get your opportunities you pick the right pass and you know they 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 they, they were great in this game actually I, I said my own social media afterwards that I thought Standard were really really resilient here it's what Ben's been saying for a couple of weeks now they, they, they're they hanging in games and managing to take opportunities that you know you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect them to get or take and they're actually becoming quite good at that it's not something you know they want to 
you know, become a, a kind of staple of the play, I don't think, because it's a bit dicey that, but certainly over the last month or so, they've become very good at that, particularly against uh, the bigger sides in, in, in the league. Bruges, obviously, yeah, overwhelming feeling of frustration, particularly in light of what happened in Brussels um, in the game that, that followed the conclusion of this one. Amazing, the nice segue there, Scott. Couldn't have done anything better <laughs> myself, that's fantastic. Yeah, let's move on to that game. So yeah, Union against Genk uh, almost made our good friend Will Downing late for his flight home. This game dragged on for that much time. Casper Nielsen opened the scoring in the 27th minute. Really nice finish from him. I think I was saying, and we all agree, he's kind of one of the under, unsung heroes of that team. If you're just kind of looking at Arvanzia and Dav scoring all the goals, that Casper Nielsen does make them tick in that midfield. First half, I thought Genk were pretty, pretty abject. They didn't really have anything between the midfield and the attack. There was just this massive gap between Ugbo and anyone else. I'm not sure who was meant to be filling that. I think it might have been Ayating might have been meant to be in that kind of position, but it didn't really look like that was a comfortable position for him to be in. Halftime, they make some changes, uh, being on Mike Tressel, which I think was a definitely a much better kind of player to fit in in behind someone like Ugbo. Also being on Big Paul on Owatu, good to see him back on the pitch. And it was him that gets the equalising goal from the penalty spot. Never really in doubt with Big Paul most of the time. And from then, get yeah, Genk, the second half was definitely, definitely much better. And they created a lot more chances. Couldn't quite get the final ball. They couldn't quite get the shots on target that they wanted. However, they were pushing. And in the kind of added time, Union on the counter-attack, think they've got the winner. However, there was an offside in the build-up to that. So that kind of had to be VAR'd for a reasonably long time. But I don't know how, but... It's one of those things, isn't it, when there's a stoppage in extra time, it's kind of like almost no man's land for who's actually keeping count of how much time's actually passed. Um, because it's just, yeah, it seems to just be chaos and that no one's really keeping an eye I on it. I was. <laughs> Apart from us at home. <laughs> exactly. But like refereeing and officials, you always find it, don't you? There's like stoppages and sometimes they add literally nothing on. Or in this case, they add more time on. And even more time led to Union having another chance they get a penalty, which Yoris, thankfully you sent us these still images, which now I've seen it. I'm like, well, is it, is it not like you could kind of, is it, it's debatable, I guess, but there's also kind of the first contact appears to be outside of the box. Regardless of that, Union should have actually finished the chance that they had created Um, in the first place. It was kind of being cleared off the line and kind of bodies everywhere. They get the penalty in the 90, well, 100th minute, I guess it is. Dante Vanzia steps up, puts it away. And it just felt, you know, when you're just like, yeah, everything's starting to, everything's kind of going your way at this point like you're getting the rub of the green you're getting that luck on your side Scott I'll start with your opinions first because I know yours has got plenty to say on this one what what were your kind of opinions on this what do you think about that end to the game sort of event I guess well I think you know it doesn't really get much more dramatic than that does it I mean wow still even now in thinking about it I mean I think the last game that had kind of quite so dramatic a conclusion that I can remember anyway that I would highlight probably is that that great Champions League semi-final, Ajax and and, and Tottenham um, a few years ago, which just had an extraordinary conclusion to it. I mean, this game... it's Union doing Union things. You know, we've said it so often about them this season that they just keep going. You know, they they, they have one setting. And I just kind of knew that even with time running out in this game, I kind of felt that, you know, they thought, you know what, we're still going to go for the win here because they knew that Bruges had already dropped the points. Um, they knew that the, 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 the prize to extend their lead was very much there. And a lot of sides would have sat in it in those last few minutes and went, OK, well, we'll take the point, you know, and we'll take the status quo. But no, they... they you know they really wanted the win I think and the the penalty obviously is very controversial Um, the goal being chopped off the Undav one you know I thought looked good at first until I saw it and I thought okay kind of fair enough Um, but yeah still that in itself didn't deter them they kept going you know, they, they, they got the penalty. I think, obviously, the thing with the penalty is, where's the key contact? There is that argument about the con- the initial contacts outside the box, but where is where is the key contact? And I, I, I think they've they, they've gone with that decision. The thing that was telling for me was the referee whistled straight away. There wasn't any, let's check this or anything like that. Obviously, it was checked, but, you know, he, he felt as soon as he saw it that, that it was an infringement. My initial reaction in, in real time was that it was a penalty, actually. And I still think it was slightly more of a penalty than um, Genk's one. But 
both of them are are ultimately I think kind of highly debatable but yeah there is something about Union I I don't subscribe to the luck thing them getting all the luck at the moment really because I think they're they're creating their own um their own opportunities just through their sheer positivity to be honest and sometimes that's where the rewards come from is is kind of frustrating as it can be but that felt like a hugely significant moment that really huge and the reactions on the touchline um said a lot to me I think they felt that as well it wasn't just the joy of kind of winning unexpectedly it was you know I think they felt this was a really big moment especially in light of the fixture that's coming up on Thursday evening of this week as well you know people already saying that if Union you know are able to win on Thursday and they've been better away from home than they have at home so you wouldn't bet against that happening then um, they will be in a, an unbelievably strong position even if the points are still to get halved um, so hugely dramatic that and can't be that for entertainment A very sour one today from my perspective obviously for a multitude of reasons so first half I think we're trying to hold Union off and actually that part of the plan did work the outside of the goal which was a long distance shot Union didn't create anything either well one big chance which was offside anyway as well so the defending part was quite good but indeed the creating side was uh, definitely not so great after 35 minutes or so I think uh, also at least the experiment with Munoz being an inverted wing back was a bit released which Kink also be getting slightly not much there but slightly uh, more dangerous by the end of the first half with the nice XG of 0.03 as a result and then the second half well I, I agree that the, the game was at, at least more even and I guess even the second half Kink can even claim that they were the better team Unfortunately, uh, Trezor's long-distance strike then hits the post instead of going in like Nielsen's one. Penalties, a few elements there that wide should never be a penalty for me. Well, there was 20 seconds to play when uh, Union's goal got chopped off. The ball went around a few times and then like I think one and a half minutes later, the, that phase followed. I know stoppage time is always um, like a minimum off uh, at a time, but since there was only 20 seconds to play and in that the stoppage time before there was nothing significant happened I don't see why it should take more than 20 seconds there then and then there, there's of course is it a foul or not is a question also debatable um, I'll leave that up to, to you where takes does the foul take place the initial foul and then the thing well like Scott said the, he didn't whistle immediately he waited he gave the advantage and when Hink saved the ball off the line then he gave the penalty and I'm not sure if that is actually still a thing in football give the advantage and then come back to it this one i'm not completely sure about but he did not give it straight away that i can tell you though he only whistled it after van de voort got the ball after two gang players had it off already from uh, from the off the line and after that he gave the penalty there are so many elements to this and uh, ultimately I'm also sour because it's one point that Hink really could use. Just a sour one to take, but Union definitely still in their flow. Um, I'm, they definitely did. Well, they could win this game. They could win it. They could draw it. Whether which whatever result was a more fair one, ultimately it does not matter. And yeah, they do seem to take a lot of these ones. It's not just luck, of course. It's definitely their drive, uh, like Scott mentioned in these games, and everything seems to be falling. But you also like that's something that you that you really fight for as well. Mm-hmm. And you deserve you make your own luck is what they say I guess yeah and I think that's definitely what is happening and it will be interesting to see the last 20 minutes uh, of Union though outside of the of these few counter-attacks they were maybe potentially worrying because they were definitely dropping deep there and and not because they wanted to still, of course, but the, the teams could play through them, I guess. And Hink, Hink is definitely also one of the teams that can do that best if they are in form. But um, definitely the three teams coming up next for Union will uh, will also try to do so. And they, uh, Hink might have shown that it is possible. We'll see how uh, they hold up. And of course, even after that, they are in a uh, very good position anyway. Yeah, no, definitely agree. Pretty much everything there yours especially the bits on Union I um, initially thought they'd given the penalty because of like a handball on the line that's like the only thing I could work out but obviously yeah with all the replays and stuff but like we said everyone can make their own mind up and let's move on to Mechelen against 
Anderlecht. Almost kind of like against Charlotte, not too much to go into here. Finished 1 0 to Anderlecht. Joshua Zerksi getting another goal for the season in the 23rd minute. Mechelen only managed three shots, none of which were on target despite 54% possession. Quite surprised to see Nicholas Storm not starting. He'd obviously come off the bench. Um, obviously, a big miss for them when he isn't starting there. But yeah, Scott, I guess as the, the Mechelen sympathiser, we'll just quickly touch on this one from you. What, what do you think went wrong for them in this game in terms of? Like seeing a Mechelen side not get any shots on target is quite rare. Like we think of them as a kind of almost gung ho attacking team that are very entertaining to watch. But was it Anderlecht or was it Mechelen that kind of had the impact on this one? I think it's a you know, it's a wee bit more nuanced than that. I think it's a bit of both. I think Mechelen are a little bit flat, didn't do a lot of the basic things that they do exceptionally well. A little bit of disruption as well. You know, obviously they've lost some players. You know, Dries Vouters getting his debut. I think Anderlecht are just quite good at the moment as well, uh, which which kind of doesn't help. And Anderlecht are, are just not a side that Mechelen uh, are enjoying seeing much this season. Um, that was the eighth goal that they've scored against them this season as well. I think they, that makes aggregate score what eight three something like that so they'll be they'll be um glad to see the back of them for for the rest of the season that's for sure and like of course one of the real informed sides in the league you know their last 10 i think they've won six and drawn four would have won seven of course um but for dropping points against the uh, standard last week the under like machine and it is a machine that's you know purring along nicely now is, is still kind of in in the zone that, that big Vinny would want it to be in if and if they can maintain anything like this then you know they're certainly going to secure their playoff one place I think and be in with a shout of you know you know challenging Union really really hard I think which is obviously what they're after they're keeping that very quiet Mechelen just I think need to kind of regroup a little bit as well there's been a lot of disruption some of it being off the park you know a lot of the the theatrics around their their uh, their protests just just kind of last week I think ultimately while they might not have had a direct bearing on this game I do think these things can and do affect sides momentum and preparation as well so um, it's another reason why that was just you know a, a kind of a bit distasteful as we were talking about last week so yeah Mecklen will be disappointed with their performance but we'll be glad that you know they, they managed to keep Anderlecht down to the one goal and Anderlecht should have had a penalty as well there was a definite penalty Vouters clipping clipping a calf which I thought was a, a kind of stonewall on, on Raman as well he was as surprised as I was that he didn't he didn't get it but you know the result went the right way in the basis of the form in the end yeah no, I think that's fair enough. Uh, Joris, do you have anything to add on this one? Well, I've, I've, I haven't seen much of this game, to be fair, but from what I've seen on the images, like Michele really did not have many chances. I think there was one Schwitz shot, which was uh, their first danger in the second half, much like Hink was actually in the, I guess, but um, like complete Anderlecht dominance throughout the game, I guess. And yeah, I wonder that it stayed at 1-0. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Yeah, they'll be happy to have put that kind of frustration of the draw with standard behind them. Um, speaking of informed teams, Circle of Rouge guys, they are the informed team still. They made it another win. So I think there's only one defeat in nine and all the other results have been wins. Uh, if you take out the cup game against Mechelen, obviously, um, since what, end of November? Only lost one game, which is just mental. Quite an easy kind of start to this one in the sixth minute. They get a penalty. Dino Hotic steps up. It was one of those penalties as well where like you go to kick the ball, but someone beats you to it and you just boot them in the bottom of the foot. I always find them quite harsh, but obviously they are penalties. But it's just like, it's one of those ones where you literally aren't going to tackle them. You're like, I just want to clear the ball and they just nip in in front of you and nick it. Hotchett stepped up, puts it away, 1-0. Uh, Zolta, to be fair to them, lots of possession. They were really trying in this game. They really were trying to push. We saw the kind of return of Gano and Vossen. Uh, Vossen playing a little bit deeper from Gano. Dompe and Federa kind of either side. You're strong holding midfielders in second, Boyer. So it's kind of like relying on Vossen, Gano. Gano, Dompe, Federa to do kind of the creativity in that side. I see Rabi Matondo back on the pitch as well. That was good to see. Um, didn't have as much of an impact as he probably would have liked, uh, despite trying. Uh, it was It's kind of all about Dino Hotic. Uh, he gets an assist for the second one from a corner. Boris Popovic pops up from the back, uh, makes it two goals to nil from a corner. Into the second half, Zoltovar again pushing again. And they do finally get a goal back through Yellow Vossen. Nice finish from him. However, Five minutes later, Kevin Denke is on the pitch and he gets, I believe, his first goal of the season. He obviously went down with malaria earlier on in the year. So, yeah, he's not been fit and has some few issues. But you could see the look on his face. He looked absolutely delighted to get that one. Um, so it finished 3-1 to 
Circle of Blues. I don't think Zolta were that bad in this game. They came up against just the Circle of Blues side who are very comfortable in what they're doing at the moment. They know exactly their game plan. They know how they're going to play. They know who, where the, the pressuring and doing that press. And yeah, I think Carlos kind of spoke about it. Scott and yours, you guys have both spoken about kind of how the data backs up the way they should be playing. And that's how they're playing now. They bought players in to play that system. They're now playing the system they bought the players in to play. So they've also just added uh, Gila Voggi as well on loan from Bochum. So they've strengthened the striking department. Obviously, Anderlecht fans will hear Gila Voggi and strengthening the striking department and be a bit like, I don't think that's what you mean. <laughs> um, but maybe within this system, he'll be a lot better than the kind of the pressure you had on him at Anderlecht. We'll find out. Either of you want to jump in on this one? I guess it's concerning for Zolta, but... Like it's one of those games they'd have looked at to start the season and been like, okay, that's a game to target. But given the circumstances at the moment, playing Circle of Bruges is like playing one of the top sides in Belgium because of the way they're playing, isn't it? So again, it's hard to read much into this and there's bigger games for them to come. I'll, I will quickly jump in. It's of course Gonvula and not uh, Gilavogi. Uh, oh, they still yeah. a, a, a Wolfsburg uh, stalwart. So I'm sure that they would, th- that would be a surprise transfer, definitely. And I don't, don't think Anderlecht fans would laugh with that one. But uh, yeah, so Gonvula, Silver Gonvula uh, has uh, made the transfer there. <laughs> he was not a success at Anderlecht. Is the least you can say but uh yeah it's of course different in a big club with all the pressure and in a circle bigger side now which well indeed are at the level of a big club at the moment uh, in gathering points although like last week i think they did not play their best of games they could have lost this one Zoltovarium indeed created quite a lot of chances and in the end I know they score via uh, Didion Howler I guess which uh, was nicely tapped in by Vossel but that that I guess that was also a summary of the game uh, they needed that to score so usually they don't have much much struggle with scoring this time they did of course they were already behind after five or six minutes so that doesn't help them not much to say about it for both teams uh, Cirque that's it. I guess it's again one of these stories of like when the flow is good, things go your way, and uh, they did uh, again. And Zotwarim, well, it was an encouraging performance for them, I guess. But of course, uh, they would have liked to take something out of it as well. I think they. I think there's a lot of really interesting work going on at Circle at the moment. I think Dominic Talhammer's hammer is clearly much stronger than anything Thor's got to offer. That's for sure. I find it interesting as well that today Carlos Avinia, um, who's who's joined us as a guest here at the BFP, was was talking about how they're they're not content to to sit on the good work that that's happened. I think in their last seven, they've won one six and lost one since since. Dominic Talhammer came in and he was talking about, you know, they want more. They want to push what's working more and to, to, to see where that takes them. And they are, you know, outside of uh, Union and Anderlecht, you know, the form side in the league, as, as Ben was saying. I mean, admittedly, Antwerp's form is is very good generally at the moment. I think that, yeah, there's some really interesting things going on at Circle at the moment. And, you know, a new striker coming in, I think, is uh, interesting. They've been working away quietly, I think, in the background. And, you know, they're trying activity has been yeah very quiet up until today so it'll be interesting to see if they're able to add to that before the window closes as well because Carlos alluded I think it was about two weeks ago now that they were expecting to announce a couple of names before the end of the window certainly and that's that's one of them being being confirmed now but they, they're they're playing very well and an entirely different side you know Matondo so important to, to what they do uh, Hottich clearly enjoying his football in that system as well and they, they they look definitely to be a fitter and more energetic side and, and that's clearly the case because they, they've been doing a lot of fitness work and and um, making sure that physically they, they, they're in a much stronger side to be able to compete as well and that's such an important aspect of the game in, in, in Belgium as we all know Yeah, no definitely and yeah that kind of sums up our kind of round up We'll quickly jump, I'll quickly do like a quick AFCON roundup and then we're going to go back to Scott for some 1B and then look ahead to the fixtures coming up. So as I kind of mentioned earlier, Stephen Fortes, Kenny Rocha Santos, they're both on their way back now. Uh, they just got knocked out by uh, Senegal, uh, one of the pre-tournament favourites. Like I said, Stephen Fortes had some good performances. Kenny Rocha as well, I thought he was quite good in the central midfield, but Oostend will be quite happy to get them back. Selimani obviously is part of that. Incredible Commonwealth team who everyone kind of took their hat off to. Um, fantastic performances from them. 
do you kind of want to give kind of like a condolences send out from everyone at the Belgian Football Podcast to those that lost their lives during the kind of stampede that took place mm. during or after that game in Cameroon? No one should ever go to a football match and not come home. I think everyone can kind of agree on that. It's just such sad, sad situation. So hopefully some more positive news can come out of what happened there and it isn't as bad as first thought and first feared but yeah all of our condolences definitely going to everyone over in Cameroon who's been a victim of that hopefully the tournament can kind of rally around and put on another great show and performance for kind of the people that did lose their lives there in terms of other Belgian kind of participants I guess we mentioned earlier Abby Jallo is still there with Gambia and he scored some fantastic goals his first goal first AFCON goal for Gambia like I said last week and then he got a really really fantastic winner against Tunisia so he's Kind of, he went off and looked a little bit injured in the game the other day against Guinea. Hopefully, he's going to be okay because they've got a game against Cameroon coming up, which will be absolutely massive. But again, they're going into that with absolutely nothing to lose as they have been playing this whole tournament. So, hopefully, he can spark them on against some fellow Pro League players in Collins Fire and Gadu and Geji. Herb Coffee, as Scott said earlier, with Burkina Faso, he's gone through, uh, made a great save in a penalty shootout. Penalty shootout went on for a very long time. And for somehow, at the end of all that, he still had time to. To do about 15 million backflips and go viral for that so props to the cap uh we'll hope that he can put in another good performance and who knows they're very close to the final now they've got a reasonably good draw yes yeah, so Burkina Faso will be playing Tunisia instead of everyone thought would be Nigeria uh, he'll come up against Hamza Rafia of uh Standard Liège big big chance for him to get into the semi-finals and who knows from there you can make the final quite easily with AFCON. Elsewhere tonight, we have Morocco against Malawi. Presume that Morocco are going to win this one. Obviously, Tisa Dali, Amala and um, Shaklo in that one. Shaklo and Tisa Dali on the bench, I believe. Amala, he's been a constant figure for Morocco throughout this tournament. So he starts, expect them to still be there. And I'm sure Ghent would love to get Tisa Dali back, but I can't imagine that Morocco are going to lose to Malawi. And yeah, Cote d'Ivoire, Christian Kwame, obviously playing second fizzle to Sebastian Haller. They've got a big, big game against Egypt. That should be quite an exciting one coming up. So who potentially could be back, depending on what sort of Egypt turns up. But part of me thinks, I think Ivory Coast are going to win that one and Christian Kwame is going to still be out there. So yeah, lots of interest from us in terms of Belgian players at AFCON, but we are going to get some of them coming back at the moment. Sorry, Cabot obviously will be back. Starting to get some players back, but definitely some more players to watch if you are keeping up with AFCON. Uh, speaking of keeping up with different things, let's switch to Scott now. He's going to give us a quick roundup of what's been happening in the Pro League second tier, which came back this weekend. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, well, uh, after last week's 1B roundup, which was actually um, quite dramatic, despite the fact that there hadn't been any games, obviously, because of the break, a lot going on off the pitch in 1B uh, over the last week or so. This week has been very quiet, even though the action's back. Uh, Molenbeek managed to win 2-0 at home to, to Long. Westerlo and Denza has been postponed, the COVID postponement. Verton lost convincingly at home, 4-0 to, to Beveren and Muscron and Liers uh, finished goalless. So in terms of the way things stand in 1B, Westerlo are still top, uh, seven points clear of Beveren, but they do have two games in hand, so they could very easily extend that lead. Verton remain bottom and Lommel at the moment have no wins in 10 now so are going through a really sticky patch and really need two or three results to kind of go their way at the moment they're the side that really are badly not in form and, and need a, a little bit of stability I think that's 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 the main takeaways from, from 1B at the moment. Do you have that game between Molenbeek and Vesterlo that's kicking off tonight so that's going to be an interesting one to see kind of if Molenbeek win that I think they do they do don't yeah. they go above us and Beveren so some pressure on there and that could be an nice little the battle for second place I think is going to be the one isn't it that's going to be where we see more because Vestler at the moment yeah we're thinking they are kind of steaming ahead and kind of doing a union in that sense of being quite clear of the chaos that is beneath them but 1B being back you just know it's going to bring the drama and the chaos and we absolutely love that let's quickly look ahead to upcoming match week obviously we've got this midweek game we aren't going to be able to do a review of that before we get into the weekend so if things come out, but we can talk about it next week. Uh, at the moment, Antwerp are winning 1-0 against St. Sluden. We've got Ghent Usten tonight. Charleroi Kortzweig tonight. Obviously, we're recording on Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday, we have Zortevar game against Leuven. Should be quite a big game there. Urpen against Standard. And then the big one, Salang Beerscott and Anderlecht Circle Bruges, which should be a battle of two kind of unbeaten, informed teams. And then Thursday night, the big, big one again. There's so many big games this week. 
uh, Club Bruce against Union, uh, which will lead nicely into the weekend in which we have, starting on Friday, St. Truden and Charleroi. Uh, Beer Scott holds all to Fire Gem, so they're playing those two teams just above them quite close in succession. Salang against Urpen, Circle of Bruges host East End. On Sunday, Union against Anderlecht. The big games for Union just keep coming. Uh, Ghent against Antwerp. Standard against Mechelen, and then we finish with Courtrike against Club Bruges. Guys, out of the ones coming up on the weekend, we'll ignore the midweek for now because we've spoken about how big they are. Which of those are you looking forward to the most? King's game. Oh, no, wait. Yeah. (laughs) If you haven't heard them in there, that is correct. They have a break of two weeks uh, because of the many internationals from the Americas. Like, Clubberie will also miss Buchanan for for a few games as well. And uh, there's definitely a few other teams also affected. Yeah, I was just going to say, there's another big (laughs) one at the the Olympus on Saturday as well. Beershot are at home to Zalta. And that that could be a huge game as well, depending on the outcome uh, of of tomorrow night, uh, Wednesday night's game. where Beershot obviously go to Sarang as well. So it's, it's a massive week for both Sarang and Beershot. And I will go for a hint against Antwerp. This could probably be the last chance um, for a hint as well, also depending on their result um, in the upcoming game in the midweek. But this could be their last straw for a playoff one. Yeah. No, definitely. And yeah, it should be a good week. And I think lots of things are going to start moving and shaking uh, in the Pro League this week. Guys. As always, thank you once again for joining me on this episode. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, See you next week, everyone. I am now off to continue practicing my backflips. I'm not, but good luck with that. And uh, we're bound to see the result, definitely. And uh, hear you next week. If you can get that done by next week, Scott, that'd be fantastic. Um, Anyway, thank you once again to everyone for listening to this episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please do leave us a review. You can do so on Spotify now. You can definitely do so on Apple and other podcast um, applications. So yeah, we'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us, you can. You can tweet us. It's at Belgian Podcast. You can also find us individually. I'm at Benjat94. Scott's at Scott underscore coin. Yours is at yours underscore back. Alternatively, you can also send us an email. It's belgianfootpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks once again for listening, everyone, and we'll see you very soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. 